Hello and welcome to Sif Bob Writer's Room. We got another special episode for you today. Uh, probably a not so many review uh, of Dune, uh, the the maybe biggest film to come out. Well, I guess since No Time to Die, that was a pretty big film, but yeah. um, like uh, one of the most anticipated movies, um, especially with being pushed back to the coronavirus and all that. And the director's infamous comments on how if you go see Dune in a theater, you make him happy, and if you see it at home. Uh, you make him hurt. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, I got Robert on the show. Um, Dune! Dune! Robert actually uh, reached out to me and uh, was just like, hey, I have thoughts and I want a way to express them. And I was like, well, I want to give you a platform to express them. So uh, so let's talk about Dune then. Um, uh, this is obviously the new Denis Villeneuve movie starring everybody and their father. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and a couple of mice. Um, that are freaking adorable uh, but the, it's the uh, ears it, it, it is man um, it is I, w- I was afraid we were gonna get you know like these close-ups of these mice and then they were gonna get killed like uh like uh, the bad guy does in the suicide squad and it was just like don't kill all the cats like I'm not even a cat person but don't kill the cats uh, anyway I was afraid there were we were some just birds see- too right didn't they kill some oh, the birds, birds sorry not bir- the cats oh, okay it was birds you're right um yeah but we uh we're gonna talk about dune for a little bit because uh like everybody is and we got to also so um we'll just start right there uh robert for, uh yes. denis villeneuve directing dune did you like it love it hate it dislike it or think it's just okay i am on the high side of love it okay uh, he's now I figured. duny villeneuve in my mind um, <laughs> yeah I, I i loved this movie Okay. Uh, I'm probably not as low on it as you think I am. Um, okay. I think, look, I'm just in the low side of okay, or a low side of like it. Um, it, it. It's, I've got my issues with it, obviously, um, especially being the way that I relate to film. Um, and I, I think that, look, my ultimate thoughts are this is a technical masterpiece that f- honestly, like, felt the two and a half hours. Hmm. And I felt like you could have probably put it all in 45 minutes. And I'm not trying to say I wanted that to happen. It would have for sure been rushed. I'm just saying it felt like a very slow um, 45 minutes. And I feel like this is probably a better miniseries than it would have been movies. And I'm frustrated that there's not already sequels announced and or filmed. Um, they really should have gone the Lord of the Rings route here. Um, but I know yeah. I'm not the only one just saying that. Um, and I know at this point, HBO has just been using it as a barter chip to get people to to go to the theaters. You know that they worked it out with an evil dude to just be like, hey, look, shut up. Stop talking bad about HBO Max. And we'll give you your sequels. Like, you know, that's what happened behind the scenes. Um, and Warner Brothers just can't stop making bad decisions, though, right? With kind of Justice League. Um, they're a big reason The Hobbit was a mess. They're the reason that they didn't do all the Dune movies at once, two or three, however many there there should be. I don't know. But it's just like, just let people create something nice, you know? Yeah, I mean, and look, you could say this about any studio. It just seems that Warner is the easiest to, to see yeah. it. Um, you know, I'm sure, I mean, even if you go back to like Disney, like Patty Jenkins was supposed to do Thor The Dark World. True. And then she wanted to do things, and Marvel was like, "No, no, you're going to do this." And like, we know how that turned out. Uh, yeah, and Ant Man too, right? Ant Man as well. Although that, I still really love Ant Man. So I like Ant Man for what it is, but I just wish they were right. But yeah, me too. We're getting off track a little bit, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, I just feel, I I'm I, I think that there's a lot about this film that's a technical masterpiece. I just there's nothing for me to latch onto other than the world building, and I think it's great. Um, I think honestly it probably does the world building maybe like best ever. Um, I think like John Wick does a really great job of world building. Obviously the hot, the Lord of the Rings movies do a great job at world building. Uh, a little bat, a little battle angel does a great job at world building. Um, this is for sure like in the ranks of maybe the best of all time world building. It's just not something that I want to see for two hours and 22 minutes or however long this movie is, even though it's a visual darling. Um, there's there's just not really anything for me to latch onto here, and that's why I just I'm excited to see Dune Part Two. Um, I did see this on HBO Max. I'll go see Dune Part Two in IMAX though, and like I don't necessarily regret my decision because mm-hmm. I think like sixty percent of this movie is establishing shots or characters talking with you know a gorgeous background, 
um, 60 is probably a little generous. Uh, <laughs> probably like 90% if you're including just talking. Um, well, there is a lot of talking, yeah. Right, right. I mean, this is exposition in the movie with one or two really cool fight scenes. Um, probably three. Three. Because um, the training, the final, and the big one. Um, right. So, um, so like, I think all that was, was fine. I don't know. It's just like... <sighs> It, it, it's hard for me to be like, I, I, look, I, I realize I'm just repeating what a lot of other people have said. It's hard for me to just sit back and call this a movie because um, it really feels like part one. Although I think you could look at Lord of the Rings or Avengers Infinity War and be like, those feel like a part one, but they also feel like their own contained thing. And Dune is not a contained thing. So um, I'm so going to push back there. on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been seeing that a lot. And first of all... Um, I'm assuming you're recording this from an undisclosed location in a bunker because you watched on HBO Max. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. You don't I'm want just... Denise sending his guys after you. Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm hiding out because, because <laughs> I don't want Denise to show up my doorstep and. Oh, I, I was gonna say spit on me, but I guess that would be a compliment. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he, he's giving me his body's moisture. Right. Um, anyway, I, I do think this feels, this feels at once like a part one. And like a full story, because I think Paul Atreides, the Timothy Chalamet character, is the main character, goes through a full character arc. It's not like big and it's not like huge, um, but it's still there. He's at a certain place questioning who he is and what he wants to do um, in the beginning of the movie, talking to his parents about certain things. They each want different things for him. And by the end, I'm not going to spoil it yet but he makes a decision about who he's going to be going forward. Um, And yes, their character fates are left open-ended. There's a lot of story that's certainly left open-ended. There's construction going on outside my apartment. I don't know if you could hear that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Story stuff is left open-ended. There's plenty and plenty of loose, loose threads. And it's obvious that this is a part one. But at the same time, it says Dune Part 1 at the beginning. Right. You know? Well, look, that's why I think, like, all my thoughts have to be asterisks right now with, look, when, when all three Dune movies come out, like, then I'll be able to look back at them like we can Lord of the Rings. But for mm-hmm. now, like, I just have this to work with, and there is not a foreseeable future with a Dune Part 2 in it, because this movie is going to spend a lot of time in pre-production, a lot of time filming, a lot in post. And you have to get all the actors together. I mean, this is maybe the most stacked cast since Knives Out, like or I think it's stacked-er than Knives well, Out. Yeah, the names are bigger. Uh, I mean, yeah, but like, yeah, it's the most stacked cast of the year by far. No, I, I agree. Yeah, you have like leading actors playing like really small roles, almost bit parts for a couple of them. You have like Javier Bardem. Like, uh, did he win for No Country for Old Men? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have Oscar-winning actors taking like pretty small roles now. I think he is going to have a larger role in Dune too. That's seems pretty evident. Um, but um, yeah, again, it's the fault of the marketing because if yes, absolutely, if someone didn't look at any marketing and they just like to go to the latest release, mm-hmm. um, I know that's almost no one. But like, if you just go into the theater and you sit down for Dune and says Dune part one, you're like, oh, okay, this there's gonna be more after this. But Well that's that's almost nobody that's almost nobody, but at the same time, like you're I, I would caveat that with that's almost nobody that's like actual movie fans. Like, you know, just sure. like casual moviegoers. True. Um they wouldn't Right. The people we interact with on Twitter, like on film Twitter, right. everyone knows like oh, this is actually part one, but it hasn't been said in any of the trailers or any of the posters or anything like that. I think this is supposed to be three parts um, from what I looked up. I think it's supposed to be two parts that cover the original book and then part yeah. three will cover Dune Messiah. So have you read any of the book? So I started to read the first book um, and I just had a really hard time. Part of it was it was after trailers had come out and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I had a really hard time even in that first chapter, kind of grasping what was going on. And I thought probably, especially since it's just a part one, I'm probably just going to wait until the the movie comes out and then I will read the book because at least I can kind of get grounded in this world a little bit. I have, I don't know, I have a hard time latching on to stories 
um, like if there's like obviously there's a lot of exposition and all that, but I, I just yeah. I feel like I'll give the movie this. There's a lot of exposition, and I'm pretty sure I understand most of it um, by the end by the end of the frame. And I, I didn't necessarily ever feel lost, right. although a couple although it was at the same time hard for me to really be like I don't know what's important and what's not. Uh, and I think the short answer is probably everything. Um, probably every single frame is is deliberate and intentional, um, or definitely every exposition point ha- has to pay off. Yeah. Um, otherwise, your world building just for world building's sake, and I guess that's fine. But like, I-, I have a feeling trying to adapt this already pretty mega book into two movies is you have to be pretty selective with what you have in there. Um, right. So no, you you did read the book, right? I didn't finish it actually. Um, Did you at least get farther than the book? The movie ends. Yeah. Once I, once I realized this first movie wasn't covering the whole book, I looked up like how far I needed to read. And I got to that point. Was it Um, probably 300 pages? uh, Almost 400 pages actually. uh, In my copy, at least it's about two thirds, maybe a little less than two thirds of the way through the book. That sounds about right. I mean, cause this really does feel like, this almost feels like uh, how, um, you know, like you get movies like let's say like like oh you haven't seen the Matrix trilogy as I say like really not like not all the way through right so it's like you know the first movie is kind of its own thing and then like part two and three are really like part one and part two and part 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 two of that is just an epic battle for two and a half mm-hmm. hours like it really feels like a lot of like. If not part three is just going to be a lot of the battle that we see, then at least half of part two is going to be some of the big battle sequences we've seen. Um, so like it, it really feels like because you've got your first third, which is them settling on Arrakis and learning about the, right. uh, the customs, the, the sandworms, the, the customs, yeah. the culture, kind of settling into all your characters, and then you know, and then kind of that ending with the big battle scene, and then kind of your your second third would be that battle scene moving forward to the ending of this movie. So that makes sense. Yeah. So this is the biggest endorsement that I could give it. I I've been saving this. Um, As you know, Lord of the Rings are my favorite movies of all time. And Mm -hmm. I love the books as well. Um, But I didn't, I'm too young to have experienced it the way that a lot of people did when the movies were first released. Um, But I've heard, you know, I read a lot of stuff, listened to podcasts, watch videos, yada, yada, all that stuff on Lord of the Rings trilogy. People talked about how, like, yeah, they were slightly familiar with the books. Maybe they'd read one of them for a book report or something like that. But then they saw the movie, the first movie, and what all they wanted to do was dive into the books and get the entire story before the next one comes out. That is exactly what happened to me with Dune, mm. where I read two-thirds of the first book. Um, it, I read it on and off for, for about a year, to be honest. Like, I read other books in between just because it was tough for me to get through it. Me too. Um, yeah, I I'll admit I'll, it. Like I, it wasn't easy for me to read through it. Just like coming to it clean with the only knowledge being the trailers of the movie. Um, I hadn't even seen the the, the David Lynch version. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think you need to. I don't think yeah. anybody should. That that's what I've heard. Um, but as as I was watching the new Dune, and especially once it was done. The only thing I could think of was, holy crap, I just want to go home, finish this book, read the next one and dive into this world. This movie has just like sparked something in me about this world and these characters. And I just want to know, I just want to know how the story is going to end, where it's going, what it's all saying, because it was so compelling in this first part. Um, And it was also interesting that the book helped me understand what was going on in the movie. Like I was like, oh, I recognize this character and who they are to Paul. And now the movie is informing my reading of the book. Um, it's helping; they're helping me understand each other. And yeah, I've read—I don't know—another fifty pages of the book since I saw the movie a few days ago, mm-hmm. um, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I was before I had seen the movie. So I think that's the biggest non-spoiler endorsement I could give. That like, holy crap, this movie just sparked my interest in this entire world, and I am so excited for part two yeah i look i'm excited for part two i feel what you're feeling on a much more subdued level yeah i'm I'm excited for part two i i I, it's hard for me at this current moment though to say that dune is a like objectively great movie like 
I don't see any way that at this point in time you can rate it higher than four out of five stars because it just doesn't have. Uh, it, it just doesn't have really much for me to latch on to. Sure, I'm excited about what's coming next, but if if Dune Part 2 never gets made, which, like I said before, I'm pretty sure they probably just worked it out with Villeneuve to, hey, shut up, and and we'll give you your Part 2. And mm-hmm. I'm sure he was like, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. And they're like, well, we're giving you Part 2. Be, just be happy with that. Um, yeah, and... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see it, but I'll, like, I also... Kind of feel like if part two doesn't get made, I, I feel like I'll be missing out of something. But like, it would be less of a travesty than Lord of the Rings: Two Towers never being made. Yeah. Like that. But I, I, I agree with you. I think if if Dune Part Two and Part Three take take that step forward, moving to actually give me, giving me something to latch onto, this could be the best trilogy of all time. Um, I think it's easily set up the groundwork to be that. And like I said, even though just not necessarily liking this movie. They're, they're trying to lay a lot of footwork, I feel like, so they could just run in part two right, and specifically yeah. part three. So, like, I, I understand and even appreciate what they're doing. I'm not necessarily held back by the fact that it's part one um, because, you know, I, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Fellowship of the Ring, but it's certainly more entertaining than this um, well, to yeah, me. Uh, you know, I there think is, there is different more, things, yeah. There is very little entertainment value in Dune other than the technical achievements. And that's... My and Duncan Idaho, and, and Duncan Idaho, uh, that's true. That's true. And and you know, like I, there, like I said, I think the action sequences are pretty cool. Um, other than the shields, um, I don't necessarily know if I understand how they work. And I thought they were kind like it was really cool when they did an overhead shot, but when they were up close, I, it just kind of blurred the image and didn't didn't really gel well with my experience. Hmm. Um, well, I thought it was um, cool, and IMAX. I, I did go to the IMAX screening right. and. I got to say, you and I complain about theater experiences sometimes. And this Mm -hmm. is another thing in favor of the movie, because I feel like my audience, like the audience I saw it with, um, I wasn't performing in front of this audience. Uh, (laughs) The audience I saw this with, um, they had a sort of reverence for the movie because there wasn't any talking. There wasn't extra like crinkling of popcorn bags. You know, there wasn't anything obnoxious going on the entire time. And I was in a pretty full IMAX theater. There was one person whose phone went off about four different times. But other than that, I feel like everyone realized we were watching something special because literally every other movie experience that I have that I've had in the last few years has had something that I'm just like rolling my eyes through. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't any of that here by the like. There wasn't like a buzz afterwards when the movie ended. There wasn't just like, eh, so you want to go to dinner? Or, you know, just random conversation. It was just kind of like silent awe, it felt like. Um, maybe I'm just projecting my own feelings, but at the same time, I really, it did feel like a different atmosphere. I doubt um, it. I, I, th- I think you're probably accurate. Yeah. Um, I mean, same, and again, same thing with all of these really grand epics, right? Like when yeah. Infinity War ended, like nobody dared to speak. Uh, yeah. when, when Endgame ended, either nobody spoke or everybody stood up and cheered as loud as they possibly could. Yeah. You know, if Zack Snyder's Justice League would have gotten the, the the theater treatment, I'm sure at least half of the audience would have been that way, mm-hmm. um, and half the audience would have been like, "This crap! This is what you guys were complaining about!" And like, you, you know, um, you know, but whatever. Like, just I know it's pretty divided, so that's why I said half. Um, mm-hmm. There's well, there's half in this room right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think what we are witnessing is this generation's Lord of the Rings, um, but but I don't know that there's as much. Here's the here's the thing: is is any normal person going to go see Dune? Or is I think game... so. Look, the box office is proving well, and honestly, whether Villeneuve likes it or not, HBO is going to help this movie mm-hmm. because the people that pay for HBO because you know they picked it up for Godzilla vs Kong and realized that it has great catalog and kept it. Or forgot yeah. to cancel it or whatever. Now all of a sudden have the opportunity to watch this movie that maybe they weren't so sure about, but it has Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya in it. So like, why not? Um, you know, like I, this is going to help his movie. And ultimately, I, I do think that when Part Two comes out, um, that the HBO Max release will help Part Two get a better box office return than if it didn't have the because it's going to help it reach, reach a wider audience. Um, but this is a movie made for nerds. 
Um, well, I I just want to say quick. I saw a report this morning that the HBO Max numbers were the best for any of their new releases. Yeah, and I'm not so, surprised. And look, I do think there is an element of that too. Yeah. Of, there are a lot of people that went and saw this on IMAX and then came back and watched it. I know most people I know have seen this more than one times if they've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've, you're that way. No, I've been considering it, but I so want to cherish and maintain that feeling I got with the IMAX for as long as I can mm. before. I, like I have a good size TV, but it's not great quality. And I just have a sound bar. So it's not like I've surround sound. Like so much of what was great about, about the experience was seeing it on the IMAX and seeing the aspect ratio change to the entire full screen. Mm-hmm. And like when the music swells at the end, mm-hmm. um, like that had had me with chills going into the next, you know, going into the credits and leaving the movie. So I, I want to kind of maintain that feeling and memory of that being my only experience watching the full movie for as long as I can. But I do really want to show my wife and there's no way she's going to go sit through it in the theaters. So we're going to watch it on HBO at some point. Yeah. Abby had wanted to go see this with me in an IMAX. And I was, I was really adamant about, I want to go see it in an IMAX, but just because of the way that schedules work, mm-hmm. we just didn't get the time or when we did have the time, we were just kind of tired and it's an hour drive to our IMAX theater. And you're talking uh, yeah. an hour drive plus a two, two hour, 20 minute movie, plus 30 minutes of trailers, plus an hour drive back. Like, and, and not only that, but like with the schedules, the way they are now, like she used to go to bed at 10 o'clock every night. Like, we're kind of limited on our options. We really need yeah. to go on like a Sunday afternoon or something like that. If we're going to go, or she needs to go like a Friday night where she doesn't have to wake up right. um, or go to bed at a certain time. So, and, and honestly, if, if we would have gone to late night showing up and it was like a regular night, I think she would have probably fallen asleep um, during the movie. Um, yeah. This time probably would have woken her back up. Um, <laughs> Cause I imagine it was worrying, but I just, I, I do. I would like to go see this on IMAX. If I find myself close to the theater, I'll, I'll try to make it work. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know. I think the next IMAX movie is Eternals, and so I think Dune will get like a two week IMAX run. Uh, and I, I think it might get a longer play at theaters that have multiple screens, or you know, yeah. ones that have like maybe we're showing Dune in the morning and we're showing Eternals at evenings, or true, or you know, whatever. Um, like, a, like maybe they might do a little bit of a rotation, but. Um, I would like to go see this in IMAX, um, and I think especially maybe kind of exactly knowing more what I'm getting into, that might help. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I only have two really other things that I want to mention. I, I I think this this personally I think is Hans Zimmer's best work. Um, I, he's one of my favorite composers. At one point, I would have said he's my favorite, but. Um, I do think that this is his best work because I think it captures this world incredibly well. And even hearing it at home, I have a, I have a good setup. I don't have like a great or super, super expensive setup or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't have state of the art sound system. I have better than average everything. Um, then, you know, you know, and it certainly is not good as good as a theater experience specifically in IMAX. But, um, even then I could just tell like, this is, this is Hans Zimmer's best work um, to me. Uh, you know, Inception would be the contender with that. But uh, um, I don't know. I'm pr- I feel pretty confident saying I- I'm I'm more interested in listening to the soundtrack than I am seeing the movie again right now. Um, yeah. So um, I've I'm not a music person, so I have a difficult time judging film scores when they're not like you know. Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, it can get stuck oh, in your head, yeah. you know. Um, but he does, a, like, I think Denis brings out something in him because he scored Blade Runner, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and that, was, that wasn't, that was like, I couldn't think of the melodies for any of the Blade, any of the Blade Runner 2049 score. <laughs> and that's my point. He just, like, creates sound and atmosphere yes. and... Um, I'm not going to say it's his best score, but I think it fits perfectly for Dune just as it did for Blade Runner. Um, yeah. Oh, actually, I'll take that back. Um, instead of Inception being the other one, it might be Interstellar would be. I think Interstellar was his best work until Dune. I, I still think Dune would edge that out, but Interstellar is just incredible. Interstellar and Dune and Blade Runner are like good examples of, oh, wait, Hans Zimmer can actually do something that sounds different you know because pirates and gladiator and inception 
are all just like these big loud scores and then that all of a sudden he's using echo his other scores exactly and then interstellar is all of a sudden using like the organ and then blade runner and dune are like this atmospheric type so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh i mean nolan pulled zimmer aside and he said if you're gonna come on this movie i need you to do something new <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know if it's meant to be a compliment or just like this is going to be a groundbreaking movie yeah so i need you to do something groundbreaking um you know i and i don't i don't know um we'll see but the uh yeah i know i think i think uh the score is incredible uh mm-hmm. as a musically inclined person but not a not necessarily in terms of cinema um you know, there are times people are like, oh, man, the score was amazing. I'm like, there was a score. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Like, I, I, feel, I feel like there's a couple of bars, specifically the moment. And it's the it's the it's the music from the end of the trailer. Which, but it's where Paul sticks his hand in the box. Hmm. Um, I, that score is just so incredible right there. Um, the 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 track that they choose to end it on is just great. And even like in just random traveling scenes or in scenes where they're running away from a sandworm or whatever. Just incredible um really loved it um it was definitely um bold of them to use the same score for like paul atreides like that that vocal score that they use for wonder woman and Zack snyder's justice league mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that that female chant thing yeah but it also had a distinct like no, um, I, know, I know right it had a distinct what like it felt like tribal african yeah like vocals uh being uh recorded for that and because Dune being this desert plant, like really got that feel. But I, I love that vocalist performance. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, the, the like growl that she gets in her voice yeah. that like really sounds very reminiscent of like, you know, when uh, I'm totally blinking on her name and I feel terrible about it. But the lead singer of the Cranberries, um, oh, I don't even know. passed away a couple of years ago. Um, um but, uh Dolores Iridian. Um like she could get this real good growl in her voice. It sounded like that, except, you know, more like tribal African. Um so uh, Yeah, you could really, tell this vocalist was putting her everything into Oh that. yeah. 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 Or it's almost like when you hear that uh the story behind Gimme Shelter from the Rolling Stones and like they pull her out of bed at three in the morning and she's pregnant and all that and they drag her to a studio and that's why mm-hmm. her voice sounds so coarse is because they were going for that. Pulled a pregnant woman out of bed early in the morning, didn't tell her, and just took her to the studio. I was like, sing. <laughs> I really hope they didn't do that for this movie, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think she was mad at the time, and I would be too. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it pays off, man. It pays off so well. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, all right, I have, I have one more question. Um, that's really my only other talking point. Um, uh, Will Dune still be relevant when part two comes out? Because let's let's uh, let's just take this. We we kind of mentioned how Dune isn't necessarily going to be in every person's kind of movie. Sure, it's getting streamed a lot. I'm wondering how many of those are people that are seeing it for multiple viewings, uh, for repeat viewings. Uh, I wonder how many of that is just you know relatively casual moviegoers turning it on uh, because they have a new movie that they can see, or because Timothy Chalamet or Zendaya. Um, mm. So so there's so, so they're doing that. How many of them are going to like it, or how many of them are going to be off put because, oh, that wasn't a movie, that was a TV pilot or whatever. Um, so how many of them are going to be off put by that? And not only that, but you take the cast that you have here, and you, you know, um, not not everybody will be in part two, but you have Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Jason Momoa. Um, uh, I feel like I'm missing a couple people. Josh but, uh, Brolin. Josh Brolin. Um, you know, like, and, and again, Just, not, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. And Rebecca I want to mention Sharon Duncan Brewster, who played Dr. Kynes. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was great. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't recognize her, but she's great. No, neither did I. But yeah. Um, yeah the uh, Anyway, you have this massive stacked cast. And like Rebecca Ferguson, like there was talk about her doing, I think there's plans for her to do a miniseries called Doing the Sisterhood. Mm hmm. But she said she's not free until May 2023, 2024. Uh, oh, did she? Right. So, like, she's like, I would love to do it. It's just going to be a while. You're going to have to wait. Like, if if she's not free until then, like, all the pre-production that has to go in this movie, the filming with this stacked cast, and presumably there will be added cast for part two. Oh, it's Stone Scars, right? We forgot to mention him, too. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, but you have, you have all of that. 
that stacked cast that you're going to have to bring back and presumably some new people. Ideally, you want Hans Zimmer back, so he's got to be free. Daniel Villeneuve, which I'm sure he's just like, I'm not making anything until I make Dune Part 2 yeah. uh, and Part 3. You know, you got to feel like that's how he is. Like, I don't think we see Dune 2 until at least 2025. Um, Will Dune still be relevant? Maybe 2024, but I would say probably 2025 is more accurate. Yeah, I, I really have no idea when we might be seeing it, but it does say Dune Part 2 on his... IMDb, and it lists um, Chalamet, Zendaya, and Skarsgård as being cast in it already. Um, I saw an interview with Chalamet and Zendaya on Colbert, where he asked, is there part two? And they were like, "Um, we're being told to keep these parts of our schedule open, and then we're getting another call, and they say, actually, wait, no, these parts are your schedule? So it seems like... They know it's probably going to happen, but they don't know exactly when. No, I feel like it's but, always been, you know, unofficially confirmed. But it's, yeah. I don't think it's officially confirmed yet. But so I, I, it's a good question. I don't know if just the casual fans are going to be there for Dune Part Two, but at the same or casual moviegoers, I should say. But at the same time, you have people like me who I'll wait however long it needs to be to see Dune part two, I'll, I'll just be there. Um, and then I don't think we can underestimate the power of internet stands, especially for like Chalamet and Zendaya who they don't care what the heck they're in. They'll see them no matter what, you know, I I think Oscar Isaac's even got that reputation. Uh, Oh, of course. Oscar Isaac too. I mean, maybe, maybe not necessarily for your casual moviegoer, but I'll watch anything with Oscar Isaac in it. Yeah. So you have, you know, you already have your built-in hardcore fan base of Dune that's been fans since they read the book whenever. You have mm-hmm. people like me who you're grabbing on board. You have the movie fans who are going to see anything just because it's a new movie, just because it's big, just because it's Denis Villeneuve, just because it's this this cast. Then you have all the, the internet stands who are going to who are going to support their faves no matter what. I feel well, like I'm right, so but, old. But, but how, um, many, how many people do you think are going to be off-put because everybody's talking so highly about this movie and they're going to go and they're like, that's what you guys are... You know, well, the Rotten Tomatoes are praising the Rotten Tomatoes audience score is ninety one percent. Yeah, you know, like that is pretty well, but solid I'm saying for, for a casual moviegoer that's maybe planning on seeing it this coming weekend or two weekends from now. Like, they've mm-hmm. got to be let down by the anticipation at this point. Like by the anticipation for this movie or for well, the or by no by the by the, the hype the hype. Yes, that's a better like. I don't know. I like. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, I feel like a look. I'm just conjecturing here at this point, but I feel like a Definitely casual, like yeah. a casual moviegoer, like leans more into the. Hold on, this is what you guys are like. I I have to imagine that happened with Nomadland. Like, like this is the one that you guys really loved. Like, yeah, but Nomadland and Nomadland, Nomadland is very indie. Very yes, you know, very. Uh, this is gonna win Oscars. Um, the other day when we were recording with Dexter, I, you talked about popular films to win the Oscar Mm -hmm. and I mentioned Lord of the Rings, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is, uh, nominated for best picture, let alone if it wins. No, this will get a nomination for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't think think it's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to make any sort of predictions because I haven't seen everything, but it's like, it's that kind of movie, um, where I think casual fans could be like, Oh, I saw I saw Dune. That's nominated for an Oscar. Kind of the same way Black Panther was, minus the cultural relevance. It's just like, oh, here's something everyone saw. It's already got 190,000 ratings on IMDb, mm-hmm. like user ratings, and it's at 8.3 mm-hmm. and 2,500 uh, ratings on Rotten Tomatoes at 91%. I feel like a lot of people have already seen it. It's definitely going to go down a bit, right. but I don't know, you know, how much people are going to be disappointed? We'll just have to see. I just, I just, I just think like, look, you're you're talking about a property that has a lot of love for the book, and probably more people were exposed to the David Lynch movie, which is not a good thing for your your stigma, um, your your franchise experience, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not a great thing. Uh, but you have, um, um. You, ha- I don't know. I just, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Will people care about Dune 
in five years. You know, because there's so many franchises to care about. You know, like the next Dune might come out the same year as the next 007. And I'm more excited for the next 007. Like, yeah, I'm really excited to see Dune, but I, you know, but like, I'm more excited for, oh gosh, I don't know. Um, Knives Out 2. Absolutely, I'm more excited about Knives Out 2 than I am. That's going to be a Netflix I, I know, release. It's sad, but. Um, I think, I, I really do think Dune has already gotten to this point where it's like, other you know it's not mcu which people are starting to get tired of you know like Mm -hmm. i i'm already i'm i'm really not attempting to be like the negative nelly here but like i'm at the point where i'm only seeing the mcu movies that i'm really interested in yeah um and i feel like a lot of other people are on the same wavelength as me where it's like all right you had end game um now there's your big story that's done you're gonna keep going after that um so i've I don't think that's a majority by any means, but I think no. that's at least a portion. Um, there, yeah, there are always franchises, but I think Dune just came in and really announced itself as like, "Hey, I'm here and I'm <laughs> I'm great." You know, sure. I'm. It's being praised by by audiences, fans, and critics alike, which you never see, um, um, unless it's something like the original Star Wars or uh lord of the rings when i was seeing people comparing it to those i was like yeah whatever you're just trying to get engagement on your tweets or you're just trying to get uh if you're the studio you're just trying to get people to stream it or watch it in theaters but it's a hundred percent accurate for me like i i don't think it's uh overstating what this movie is doing yeah um again i know i'm way higher on it than you are but well, and look, yeah, naturally, right, and and that's fair. But we, I think we're coming at the movie from the same thing. It's just the pro- the problem is your. Ch- I heard, uh, I was listening to Sif Pop on Dune this morning, hmm. um, uh, like as I was getting ready, and one of the things that Dicer said is that look, you're either going to be an optimist or a pessimist about this movie. I think that's exactly what we're dealing with. You're being <laughs> an true. optimist, and I'm being a pessimist. And look, you saw it in IMAX, and. Look, I'm sh- I would have probably had a better experience. It's no doubt that this is one of the most gorgeous films ever made. Um, you know, I I think it's incredible. I think I think you got a lock for the cinematography Oscar, the score Oscar, and set design, costume design, definitely effect uh, practical the visual effects. The sets sure. were real too, and that's going to be right. a big thing in the eyes of the Oscars. I, I think you're going to sweep a lot of the technical achievements. I think we'll see a lot like we did Lord of the Rings, where we'll see nominations in some bigger categories, but you're really only going to win the technicals. Um, and then part three will sweep a lot of things. I think is what, yeah. what's going to happen um, with Dune. Um, you know, but uh, you know, if, if they still wind up being you know incredible quality. Um, <laughs> and I'm, if so, Denise stays but, for all three, they, they without a doubt. Oh, right? I, th- I think there's no doubt he's staying for all three, unless they push Dune Part Two to also, re- unless they extend their HBO Max policy. True. Then he's going to like find somebody else. Um, so anyway, I just I, uh, I I'm choosing to be pessimistic about this. You're choosing to be optimistic. I think we had a semi similar experience, um, except you were just you're cho- you're choosing to be like. I love what they've set up and I can't wait to see more. And I'm saying, I think they, I, I think they did a great job of setting up. I just didn't have much to latch onto. So it's hard for me to guess. I didn't necessarily even care about any of the characters. Um, part of it is there's, there's a lot of characters in this movie. Um, well, for me, I think it did a great job of grounding it to Paul and Jessica being the main yeah. two with obviously the biggest focus on Paul. Yeah. Um, because like we said, uh, this isn't really a spoiler and we've gone almost 40 minutes now without yeah. saying spoilers, but like uh, Javier Bardem is basically a bit part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Brolin has, what, three or four scenes. Oscar Isaac has more than that, but he's not in it a, a big ton either. Same thing with uh, Jason Momoa. He's only in a few scenes. Um, they're all, every one of those big names that is in a few scenes is in significant scenes, but it's very much um, focused on Paul and Jessica and their relationship and uh, the way Paul, like there's the, the scene before they leave Caladan when, uh, when she's training him with the voice. Well, no, I was, I was about to talk about the scene with Oscar Isaac where I was really worried he was going to be like the, 
I'll just use the language, like the hard ass father, where it's like, mm-hmm. you need to follow in my footsteps. You need to be the leader. But no, he's like, if you choose something else, you're always going to be my son. And I was just like, dang, I'm getting uh, Kevin Costner and little Superman vibes right here. Um, which love or hate Man of Steel. That's one of the best scenes, you know, the, yeah, you are my yeah. son. Um, and I got the, a similar vibe there. Um, so yeah, Paul is getting, his father wants him to be one thing. His mother wants him to be another thing. He doesn't really know what he wants himself to be. Um, so you get all those dynamics. I really love what it was doing thematically with him and it's very personal. Um, so I thought all that really worked. And I, again, oh, I mentioned this before we start recording. Maybe it's because I'm also a average height white guy with long, dark hair that I felt like I could relate more to Timothy Chalamet's character. But I, I thought it did a great job of setting him up as someone that you want to root for and someone that, um, yeah, is a great lead of, of, the, of this hopefully burgeoning franchise. Yeah, and look, I mentioned in the pod in the podcast proper that I think Timothy Chalamet is kind of a tool human. Um, you think I mean, so? I, I think so. I, I just from interviews of like he seems like he got immediate success with "Call Me by Your Name" and just seemed to let it all go to his head and just stories that you hear. And all, I just, I just don't think what I like stories. Do you hear about Timothy Chalamet? Oh, that he spent a weekend at NYU and screwed like a rabbit and spread, spread chlamydia all over uh, campus. Like, you never know. heard that. Uh, yeah. And like, I know there's got to be some of these stories that are fabricated and all that, but it's just like, it's just too consistent. Uh, I've really, I've literally never heard any, anything bad about Chalamet. Um, I, I, I saw a meme the other day about Wes Anderson where it said, Imagine having imagine having beef with me. I'm just a funny jokester, a silly little guy. You're gonna have beef with a silly little guy for shame, and is that's that, that's that how I feel about Chalamet movie? too. Yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't a quote from one of his movies. It was just no. it was just a meme yeah. that that someone was like, "Why is anyone hating Wes Anderson? This is basically all that he is." And yeah, I, I, he's a silly little guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel the same about Chalamet. He just seems like... like he's giving a fine performance of the movie. Um, I don't think anybody's really given much to do with because this is part one. Um, you know, other than like you know, Jason Momoa is like, hey, you're gonna play. You know, like he feels more like the Jason Momoa that we see like on the red carpet where he's like sneaking up behind people. And all that. Like, he's, <laughs> he doesn't really seem like, like Aquaman or yeah. or the or he doesn't really seem like. Uh, Cal um, yeah, Cal Drogo. Like he feels kind of like Jason Momoa, although when he, he he shaves his beard like thirty minutes into the movie, and I look at my wife, I'm like, "Who took your beard? Give it back." Well, he, <laughs> he doesn't look good without one. <laughs> he starts off with the long Aquaman beard, mm-hmm. and then later he trims it so he has mm-hmm. like stubble, and then he goes clean shaven. I guess it's to show. And he doesn't look time. good clean shaven. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, yeah, the movie does a lot of things that are like passage of time, um, but I never really felt lost. Um, they didn't put title cards. It's like five years from now or, right. or six months from now. But like you can kind of tell, like this takes place over the course of several years. Um, uh, probably like two, I would say. Um, well, you also mentioned. Gather, but... um, oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, I just uh, look. Uh, Jason Momoa. Is, no, nobody's really given too much to work with here uh, because it's a lot of setup, and so they're they're getting a lot of subtle things to work with. I don't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't give any Oscar nominations to any of these characters uh, or any of these actors. If I would, it would be Oscar Isaac. He's for sure doing the best in this movie. Uh, He's given a lot more to work with though. Um, So, you know, and part of that is for a reason, Um, you know, uh, where his arc needs to go. So, um, you know, if anything, I I still don't necessarily see him given a nomination, but I wouldn't be mad if, if they're like, well, we got to give one acting nomination. Well, clear, clearly Oscar Isaac is the nomination. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of anyone else. And yeah, you're probably right. Oscar Isaac could be the one. Um, yeah. yeah um, I hear a lot of people really praising Stellan Skarsgård. And I'm like, he's fine. He's good. I, I always love Stellan Skarsgård. It's just he's not really in it very much. Yeah. He has a few scenes. And in one of them, he's covered in tar. <laughs> so, um, and in the other ones, he's covered with, you know, massive fat suit. It's true. Um I'm just looking at my notes. I think I have one or two more things. Oh, I just wanted to say, Denis Villeneuve said he's been wanting to make this movie since he first read the book at age 14. Yep. And he's 54 now. Yep. That's 40 years. 
It shows. Um, Exactly. I mean, it's like when you hear that Nolan spent eight years working on the script for Inception, or Nolan, that like Scorsese wanted to make Silence for thirty years. You know, like it shows. Right. It you can always tell when a filmmaker came to a studio with a huge idea, as opposed to, hey, the studio is making. I don't know why this came to my mind. It's like the studio is making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who wants to direct it? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like the same thing. Well, happened like with- uh, yeah, James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, yeah. The same thing happened also with Peter Jackson. Like He had always wanted to make Lord of the Rings. And you can always tell when there's that level of passion, level of care, and the the length of history with a story or characters or both um, from the filmmaker. And without uh, without fail, it always enhances the movie as a whole. And I think it 100% does here with Dune. And you can completely tell it is a Denis movie you know his last two movies before this have been big sci-fi and it this this just continues his his trend and like completely fits into his canon you know uh it's like it feels like a natural progression from arrival to blade runner to now dune in my mind oh yeah yeah for sure um i like blade blade runner a lot more than this movie um I want I want him to do more Blade Runner after after he's done with Doom. More Gosling. Oh no, uh, he's dead, isn't he? Well, but he's a replicant, so that's true. Um, uh, do you have other notes? Uh, I think you said you had two more. Yeah, the last the last thing I was going to say looks like we went through all my other points. Um, I wouldn't have loved this as much as I do without the dearth of themes and ideas that it's playing with um, just like the book does, but it's able to balance so many all at the same time. Um, it doesn't really dive fully into one. But it gives ample time and exploration to a good amount. So it has like, <laughs> it has the like larger societal ones of like religion and colonialism wealth disparity, quality of life, uh, those with power versus those without power. Um, And then it has the ones that I was mentioning earlier, like the personal ones of the mother-son relationship. Um, It it is largely a parent-son relationship, but the mother-son one is the one that's focused on more. Uh, Figuring out who you are uh, for Paul and then just the idea of what it means to lead. Uh, Those were just something that stuck out to me on my first watch slash an incomplete read through um it's and i think all of them work really well especially the the colonialism one because that's the biggest one right coming from yeah, yeah, yeah. coming from caladan to arrakis the fremen have just been led by the harkonnens for however many years and now they're just gonna have another powerful family that is telling them what to do or is effectively in charge of them um and even though Duke Leto has good intentions, you know, that stuff never works out. (laughs) Just it's shown throughout history. Um, And then I think one of the most effective scenes was when Paul goes outside when they first make it to Arrakis and the guy's watering the trees. And he said, each tree takes the water for five or 10 people. And it's just like, well, why are we giving water to the trees when people need it? You know, uh, I think there's a lot of effective scenes like that. So I, I just loved how it worked on all of these different different levels. Yeah, you're you're right. Look, there's definitely a lot of like thieves of of structure and government, and we're seeing history repeat itself in what like 1100 whatever year it is, yeah. um, 11,000. Um, yeah, like we're we're seeing we're seeing lots of lots of things like that happening. Um, uh, yeah, and just right. Like, like I said, I think we're both kind of on the same side of the scale, or, or the same side. We're just looking at it from two different angles. Um, I, I'm really excited about Dune Part Two. It's just hard for me to say Dune is a great movie on its own. Um, yeah. For uh, me, just to close, I'll just say there was enough of a char- like complete character arc for Paul, the main character, that I was able to see it as a complete movie, even though there were all these hanging threads and uh, cliffhangers. Yeah. Yep. 
I want to end. Uh, first of all, I want to do a, a quick spoiler thing because I want to ask three clarifying questions. Oh, yeah. um, but before that, I want to read you like my, my tweet. My review was um, the letterbox reviews for Dune are better than the movie Dune. Uh, so I wanted to read a couple of those. So we have, how's your birth? Uh, how are you going to birth the chosen one with unlimited discover power destined to unite civilizations in the far reaches of the universe and name him Paul? Uh, uh, not bad if you ever just feel like staring at the color orange and not feeling a single emotion for two and a half hours. Um, I was in day abated. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's what I meant. There's the stands. Um uh, I'm sorry, but I can't take Timothy Chalamet seriously. He looks like a guy who knows too much about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can relate to Paul because I also have recurring dreams about Zendaya. Um, <laughs> uh, here we go. Uh, oops, I fucked a witch and now our son has anxiety. <laughs> uh, they really went all out on the new music video for Hans Zimmer's album. Um <laughs> That's pretty good. Like, like that one. Um, oh, this isn't even an ending. Crap, it's not even a movie. Well, how about we make the score louder right before the credits? Genius. Mm. And uh, I talked about the swelling music at the end. Yeah, uh, it's effective. Um, oh, obviously, here we go. I don't like sand. It's coarse, it's rough, and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> this worm eating 10 tons of sand just to swallow a person feels like I drank an entire aquarium j- just to eat a goldfish. <laughs> uh, oh, um, I'll save that one for the very end uh, because uh, this one I mentioned to you beforehand, it feels illegal to watch a movie with that many dilfs. And uh, <laughs> my favorite one of all, uh, the most unbelievable thing about this movie is trying to convince me that Timothy Chalamet can fight that Timothy Chalamet is an action star. That man looks like he would break four bones if somebody slapped him. <laughs> Uh, here i have one more yeah yeah let's let's normalize thinking oscar isaac is hotter than timothy chevrolet (laughs) i saw that one too (laughs) that beard man also i want to name one more actor who we uh neglected to mention stephen mckinley henderson he's in ladybird he was in devs uh the hbo show with uh, from Alex, er, HBO, the Hulu show from Alex Garland. He was in Fences, Lincoln. Uh, he was the guy with like the weird glazed over eyes. Is he uh, the like short, fat, chubby guy that has like the thing on his lip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to mention him also because we mentioned all the other great performances and he's in there too. He didn't have much to do just like everyone else, but he's typically great. So I wanted to mention him. Yeah. The scene after the assassination attempt between him and Oscar Isaac is probably like the most emotional scene in the movie to me. Um, probably. Yeah. Um, and part of that is because there are a couple character deaths, but I, you could tell that they were coming. Like n- none of them were a surprise to me. Um, so sure, yeah. Well, um, one right. of them they say is going to happen at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so um, doing good, doing good, doing good. Uh, excited for Dune two. Even, um, uh, all right, so I want to do a, cu- a couple of quick questions. So uh, if you if you haven't seen the movie, and for some reason there's still 55 minutes into a podcast about it, then uh, feel free to hop off. But um, okay, can you explain to me how the shields work? Because they're 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 in s- small invisible or not invisible, but they're small force fields that um, l- help reduce like. Uh, the the kinetic force of an object towards them, but don't necessarily stop them. I, I, I don't. It just seemed like sometimes they would stop things, like in the training sequence, and sometimes it would be like, oh, like Jason Momoa just is obliterating these guys, and uh, you know. And then there's the whole like with Oscar Isaac's, you know, uh, the tranquilizing scene, like it, it, it like is constantly penetrating. It's just like I don't, I don't understand how the shields work. So to me, it just seemed like an extra layer of body armor. Um, okay. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so not like it's impossible to get through, but it's like a convenient way to wear more armor that doesn't <laughs> weigh you down or you, you don't have to wear it over your whole entire body. Um, because you're right, like the it gets through and gets to Oscar Isaac um, and gets to... Uh, gets through Jason Momoa's fighting that I guess it's just because he's super strong and can 
hit in the right I places. Guess. Yeah, I don't, it just seemed like inconsistent because. Uh, but sometimes it looked like, oh, maybe the angle of the sword. Like if you went in at more of a jabbing motion, it would penetrate. But if you went in more of like a slashing moment, it wouldn't. Yeah, so that's the other thing that the movie. Now that you're saying that, I'm realizing the movie didn't do a great job of explaining. But I was just reading this scene in the book the other day, the scene, like the final fight between Chalamet and uh, the the challenger. Yeah. Um, that that scene in the book is from. Jessica's perspective and if you've read the book you know a lot of it is like internal monologue and so her internal monologue she's saying uh, in in that fight they weren't wearing the shields so but Paul is used to fighting with shields so he's fighting a certain way because he's used to fighting with shields but he mm. would have been attacking differently um, if he had more experience without it so yeah, it, it's explained better in the book, um, and that's a fair point. Now that you bring it up, yeah, I, I just look. I, there's a lot of things that you that I think there maybe a more casual or let or less invested moviegoer wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't pick up on. Like I think like there's a lot of things that are just like here's the spice and here's what it does, and it's like that's a big thing. Like yeah, we didn't even mention spice. Uh, well, yeah, I mean it's relative. I, I don't think I don't know that it plays as much of a part in this in this movie. Um, I know, but it's just like the whole thing is spice, 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 and somehow we didn't even say it once. But yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, um, I don't. I feel like for the most part, it tracked on things. That was just one of the things that I don't know that they explained. They're just kind of like, here's these shields. It's like, mm-hmm. all yeah. right, like I, I just, I just don't understand your physics for that. Um, okay, um, the 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 contender at the end. Mm-hmm. That's Jameis. Is his name right? Or yeah. Ja- Jamis? Yeah, I don't know how it's pronounced, but yes. Okay. I thought that Jamis was the person in the visions where they say, follow the friend. I thought that was Jamis. I think Ch- Chani, Chani is Zendaya's character. That I think that might be her. Either her or Stilgar. Well, I thought, I don't know, I just thought, is Stilgar the Javier Bardem? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I just thought in the visions, as we see when, when the voice says, when the prof- prophetic voice says, follow a friend, every time it says, follow a friend, it has... Oh, Jamis, and and it's in different contexts than that scene. So I don't know, like, is that him choosing? Oh, and and even that's that scene right before it says you need to die in order to become whatever, uh, whatever the the Al Al Gahil or whatever. Um, uh, I, I just didn't know, like, is that just him trying to break prophecy and write his own prophecy? Like, yeah. Uh, so that's another thing. I don't remember the exact scenes that you're talking about because I did see it. We're recording this Tuesday morning. I saw it Saturday and you just watched it last night. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's just right before the fight. Okay. There's a scene where Timothy Chalamet gets stabbed and dies. And the prophetic voice says, you need to die. Or, Paul needs to die in order for mm-hmm. whoever to rise. So that's another thing that's in the book. And where he realizes that he did something differently than what the, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he realizes he did something differently than what the vision he was seeing uh, predicted or whatever. Um, I guess that's kind of just implied in the movie then. Like you see something happen, but he's able to change his own fate. So um, I think that actually sets up some interesting stuff for two and three, where if he's supposed to be this wonderful Messiah, and then he has the ability to change his fate. What yeah. what might happen? That's fine. I, I like. I, yeah. That's kind of what I got from it. Like he's mm-hmm. he's disobeying whatever prophecy is for him at that point. So. Right. Um, I just didn't know if that was intentional or not. I think um, so. Okay. Um, all right. And then the last question is: All right. So um, we've seen uh, Oscar Isaac is dead. Um, Stellan Skarsgård is injured, not dead. Um, the Desmond Dalmachian is dead. Uh, didn't mention him. Uh, Bautista is still alive. David, sorry. David yeah. uh, is uh, David Bautista is still alive. Um, didn't mention him. Not really worth mentioning though. Um, he's no. fine. Yeah. Um, he's I'm not a big Bautista. He's fan. stock. He's stock brute. Um, exactly. I think he's great in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but he's got like five minutes of screen time. Apart from that and Guardians, but anyway, go ahead with yeah. what you're saying. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Javier Bardem, all of them are still alive. Uh, mm-hmm. Jason Momoa is dead. Um, the only character that I'm unsure of their fate is Josh Brolin. My yeah. my wife seems to think that he's dead because she's like, well, we saw him charge in battle. I'm like, but we didn't see him die, and he's too important of a character to like. He's not dead, right? He's too important to die off screen. Is that what right. you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, like he's got to come back for part two or three. Like I, I, my wife was just like, yeah, well he's, he's gotta be dead. But, but I'm like, but this stuff happens in the movies all the time. He's, he's the great warrior. Like, you know, I, I, Unless I'm just missing, no, we saw him die. I don't. We didn't, right? No, I think you can go with Game of Thrones rule of thumb here, where yeah. unless you see someone die on screen, then they're still alive. Yeah, um, Game of Game of Thrones, MCU, DCU, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and this isn't even me coming from a point of knowing what happens in the books because I'm barely further in the book than where the movie ends. Right. Um, so it's still where I am. It's still unclear whether he's alive or dead. Um, so I think, yeah, I I'm just un- want to make sure like I didn't miss a death scene or something. No, like no, like, there, there was a really awesome scene where they were doing the stair, the, the stairs battle. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really awesome to see the formation they did there, but I was just like, but he wasn't there. Like, right. And if he was there, we would have seen him specifically die. We would have gotten like, you know, him laying dead on the stairs and we would have gotten like, you know, like King Leonidas at the end of 300 where camera just pans up on his dead body. Right. You know? So okay. and that- the last, the last shot of him. Or like the last thing you see is him like yelling charging House Atreides or whatever, and then yeah, charging into yeah. battle, right? And then the other one you didn't mention just then is uh, Doctor Kynes. Does yes. she? The last time you see her is that when she gets swallowed up into the worm? Oh, does she get swallowed into a worm? Well, because she's she she puts the thumper down. Oh, that's right, that's right. And yeah. then is standing with the axes and then gets stabbed from behind, and yep. and the worm is already coming, and so she just essentially grabs the people so she gets swallowed up by the worm okay uh, and the and the the doctor and the housekeeper were also both killed right um, um so. because i was thinking the last scene was when jessica and paul go one way and she goes the other after right. she helps them escape but you're right about the worm because i just yeah. read that scene in the book the other day when she dies and i was like oh i don't remember that happening but yeah apparently it did it did yep. um yeah. Anyway, so it was nice because like I didn't know which characters were going to die, but like you knew Oscar Isaac was going to die before the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the feeling that Jason Momoa was going to die. I just I didn't know that it was going to happen in part one or part two. Um, Josh Brolin will die by the time that the movies are done. You know, it's just um, you know, but maybe he's got to train, like continue training Sean or whatever. Like in Javier Bardem, yeah. when he was only in the movie for like five minutes, I'm like, you don't cast somebody like Javier Bardem for a role where he's mostly covered in hair and robes where you could cast literally anybody. Um, well, that's one based on where I am in the book. It seems like he's going to be a bigger part going. Oh, forward. even where the movie goes. I mean, it yeah. seems like it seems like it's going to be him. Zendaya, Timothy the four Chalet, of them. Yeah. Rembeck, like pretty much they're the cast moving forward. And we're going to have new people come in, obviously. Um, there were also a few things that like they didn't use from the book. Like there were scenes when they, like there were larger scene, like there's a banquet scene and you get to go around and just have time meeting people. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was one other thing I just had in my mind. I think there was just like, it's crazy how it's a two and a half hour movie, but it still seemed rushed because of how much stuff happens in the book. Yes. But, but yeah. Well, and look, I, I, I'm not trying to say that they should have rushed it further necessarily because I, I feel like all this stuff will eventually become important, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just hard because they filmed it as if it was going to be one movie, you know? I mean, they, they filmed it as if these three were going to be one movie, but like Warner was like, we're going to give you one movie. And if that does well, we'll give you two and three, but what we we're pretty sure it'll do well. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to right now be like, Oh yeah, that was great. And, but it was just part one and part two isn't around the corner. You know, like when you get infinity war end game, they're a year apart. When you get Harry Potter, death, the part one and two, mm-hmm. they're a year apart. When you get, you know, Mockingjay Part 1 and 2, they're a year apart. Lord of the yeah. Rings was every Christmas for three years, yeah. Yeah, and, and Matrix was a couple months. Like, Yeah. Same uh, thing with the like, Pirates, the second yeah. two and three Pirates for a few months. Like, you know, it's just, it's hard It's hard to just be like, I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping this movie grows on me, uh, and I'm hoping I, uh, I'll, I'll see it again for sure several times before the new one comes out, because I'll have years to watch it before the next one comes out. So, Well, it sounds like um, you like it, but... You said low side of like, yeah, because yeah. like, look, it's just there's just not much for me to grasp onto. That's fair. Story wise, um, there's not much of a story here. I was just uh, hoping I wasn't gonna have to fight you on like. I was hoping I wasn't gonna hear, and I didn't hear, uh, like, oh, it was boring. I didn't like any of it. Nothing happened. But I think you like Denise thing, and it was very much a Villeneuve movie. Um. 
No, I. It wasn't. There was a couple parts I might have been a little bored. Well, uh, sure, but like you were. There like was there was times for where, death in the middle of the movie. Right. Right. Well, there was like a lot of times where like not much was happening, but it's because they were setting up the world. So like yeah. that's justified. I don't know. I think I think Blade Runner justifies its two hour and forty five minute runtime a lot mm-hmm. better than Dune justifies its two hour and twenty five minute runtime. I'd probably slightly disagree there. Not that Blade Runner doesn't justify yeah. it, but I, I think this justifies its runtime. But that's again uh, the two uh, different places we're coming at this from. Yeah. And until we see part two, we don't know how much of part one was needed. True. True. <laughs> and until we see like until we see it all completed, you know how much is absolutely ne- like it's it's interesting now to go back and watch the Force Awakens. And be like, well, that wasn't needed. <laughs> like that didn't go anywhere. Like <laughs> I know. So the Force Awakens. <laughs> I just want to say this on record. I've never said it on record. They didn't need a plan from the beginning. That's what everyone says. That's that's not what they needed. They just needed someone overseeing the whole story so that it felt coherent between those three movies in Star well, Wars. And that was supposed to be Kathleen Kennedy's job. Yeah, and she was just like, JJ, do whatever you want. Ryan, do whatever you want. No, JJ, you need to do this. And just like, it all just... JJ, do whatever you want. Ryan, do whatever you want. Colin Trevorrow, you do whatever you want. Wait, never mind, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> never mind, you're fired because you made one bad movie, even though your script is way better than what we actually got with Ryan Skywalker. But the thing with Dune is that you're going to get one voice making these three movies and that's why if i'm i haven't seen those two movies they're not even in production yet but i'm sure they'll be better than as a whole than the star wars sequel trilogy yeah look yeah yeah i like this is this is going to be lord of the rings for this generation just maybe not quite to the popularity scale Um, yeah and 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 i think we're going to see a lot more a lot more studios willing to take a risk like this um to be like we're gonna tell a trilogy and it's gonna you know because like the mcu is so big and the dcu is pretty big and um you know all these other things that like can show that you you can make movies that are part one and part two and they will make money and so i think we're gonna be yeah. i think studios gonna be more willing to make that but uh anyway we're just talking in circles um so i'm uh i'm glad we did this um Me too. and um um yeah thanks for coming on yeah of course always love to back oh, to the well, i room. guess fine I'll let that slide.